Hello friends, how's it going? My name's Matt Bart and you are listening to the Looking Sideways Action Sports Podcast. It's the show where I try and cover the most fascinating stories in action sports and other related endeavours. Huge thanks for checking this show out. If it's your first time listening because I've got Chris Burkhard on the show, don't worry, I won't hold that against you. I hope you enjoy it and I hope you choose to stick around and check out some of the other episodes that are in the bag. Um, if you include the bonus episodes and the 20 or so um, editions of my Type 2 podcast, which I'm making in collaboration with Patagonia, we're over 200 episodes deep at this point, which you can find on my website, www.wearelookingsideways.com or over at my substack, lookingsideways.substack.com. Deep breath. I'm in the van, actually. I'm in France. I'm in Normandy on a well, just overlooking a beach. Um so I'm in the van with the doors shut and the dog asleep just recording this intro so Chris Burkhard well I'm going to say that Chris might be the most influential visual artist at work in the outdoors today uh, it's probably a big claim but who else has shaped the conversation to the same degree Jimmy and Chai possibly um, I might be missing somebody but whether you realize it or not every time you open Instagram and check out any type of outdoor content um, from you know, influencers frolicking in the great outdoors to um, hiking bangers, um, which is an actual thing on Instagram, you're basically seeing the influence of Chris Burkhard. Now, as you might imagine, I've tried to get Chris on the show a few times over the years, and I've come pretty close, including one occasion when he was in London, um, but ended up being too busy to fit me in. I'd kind of given up, to be honest, until one day in early August 2022, my pals at DB, who you might have noticed... I'm doing a lot of work with at the minute because they are sponsoring the podcast um, and I do have a a nice evolving creative relationship with them. Anyway, they they asked me if I fancied heading over to Stockholm for the weekend with Owen Tozer to interview Chris in front of a live audience at a shop called Scandinavian Photo, a beautiful and very highly regarded photo emporium in the Swedish capital. So it was that myself and Tozer hopped on board for a whirlwind 36 hours in Stockholm Um, which culminated in this chat you're about to listen to. I've got to be honest, I hadn't intended to release this one as an episode. I originally thought we'd do this and then have a separate chat afterwards. And I thought I might as well record it anyway, in case it went particularly well. And listener, am I glad I did. I've done a few of these live things now, and this was by far my favourite. I think it was a combination of the venue, an extremely engaged crowd, and Chris being absolutely on it and on top of his game. Um, it went so well, in fact, that we, that is me and Chris, agreed we'd just be better off releasing this live chat as an episode on its own rather than try to recreate the magic. And that's what you're about to listen to. What follows is a truly revealing masterclass on creativity and finding your artistic voice from somebody who really does know what he's on about. I learned a lot. I'll go into a bit more of this in Housekeeping Corner at the end. And I'm sure you will too. Now, before we crack on, three minutes, it's not that bad for me, this. Allow me a digressive note on the sound of this episode. If you're new to the podcast, by the way, you will get used to me going off on massively digressive tangents, so bear with me. And if you don't like massively digressive tangents, good luck. Um, Anyway, it's a fact that any game of football in the world, no matter where or no matter who's playing, will begin the same way. Basically, everyone separates into equal distances on the pitch. Um, grabs a few balls and starts knocking it about, pinging it around in total silence, throwing in the occasional bit of tackers so the other 
players know exactly who they're dealing with. No words are spoken. It's all comms are carried out with barely perceptible body language and shrugs, especially when somebody balls his upset tackers. Then the game kicks off and somebody always, always decides that the ball isn't right and, and tries to insist everyone starts playing with a different ball. Happens. I think if you play football, you'll agree with me. And by the same token, it's also a fact that whenever you're about to do a talk or a presentation that involves connecting a laptop to a PA, a monitor or a smart TV, the moments immediately prior to that talk commencing will involve a couple of blokes flapping around, feverishly testing cables and wondering how on earth to get the tech working properly. That's exactly what happened in this case as myself and the sainted William from DB tried to work out the best way of recording this chat. The good news is that we did manage to record it. The bad news is there's some fairly significant background noise in this one, including a lot of popping and sibilance on Chris's mic. On reflection, though, like I said, this chat is just too good not to share it, and my editor, Fina, has done a really good job of getting rid of uh, most of the you know, the noise. So I just wanted to flag it. I'm a bit geeky about the sound. and I know bad sound rightly puts a lot of listeners off. I've said before, there's really no excuse for it in this day and age, shitty podcast sound. And personally, if I turn on a podcast and the sound shit, I I just tend to turn it off because, you know, I think, well, if they can't be bothered doing that with the sound, is this really going to be worth my time? Probably not. Anyway, hopefully you'll be able to get past this and enjoy the episode. I know I did. Um, and I'll be back at the end, like I said, to explain why. But in the meantime, here's me and Chris Burkhard. Enjoy. I have been busy um, and also not busy at the same time. So it's been really nice. Yeah, but you've had these two um, like big ticket projects you've been working on, right? You've had the, the, the bike expedition. Uh-huh. Yeah, um, absolutely. And then you've just been in Iceland documenting this latest volcanic eruption, right? Yeah, um, that was a bit of happen chance, you know, um, as it was last time in 2021 that it erupted. I was just there. Okay. Um, I find that if you put yourself in a situation where good things can happen, they, they tend to happen. Yeah. Um, and so I was, I was there and I, I emailed one of my editors at National Geographic and I was like, hey, this is happening. Do you want me to cover it? And, right. and then that was, it was like, yeah, I'll get you a contract in like 20 minutes. Okay. So, um, so that was basically what happened. And it was, it was amazing. This, um, latest volcanic eruption actually looks like it is on the downward spiral in terms of activity. Got um, it. so, so it was a beautiful thing to witness wild to be there in the beginning. Yeah. So intimate, you're so close and it feels, um, almost more visceral than when you're looking at it from afar and, and yeah. distant. Yeah. It's really cool. So what is it you're, when you when you like have a you're faced with a phenomenon like this um, and you try to capture it and you try to do it for national geographic like how do you guide yourself like what's your process do you have something that you follow or is it quite intuitive um that's a great question i mean i think it's for me um with a background shooting editorially meaning shooting for magazines for, yeah. for like eight to ten years I'm always kind of thinking about like, what is the, the story? And sometimes the story is like, what's right in front of you. And sometimes it's the periphery. So the first time I covered the eruption for them, it was a lot of like, you know, yes, at a certain point, it's really amazing and impressive to see all the FPV drone footage and all the photos from the air and all the landscapes. But at a certain point that just gets so incredibly monotonous that you're sure. like, well, what is happening? And people want to know like what's actually going on. Well, there's, massive effort with the search and rescue to keep people safe. There's people getting injured. There's, you know, social economic things happening. So you're, you're trying to look at it from a, you know, there's science, you know, constantly, you know, being kind of 
uh, as a big focus here as well. So you're, you're, you're thinking about this from like a multitude of perspectives. It's so easy to kind of get sucked into the linear perspective of like, this is so pretty. I'm just going to shoot thousands of photos and then hope that I get one, you know, kind of spraying and praying as opposed to being a little bit more thoughtful and intuitive. And I think that, um, when you're on an assignment for a magazine like that, um, or you're doing a piece, you, you pick a topic and then you kind of have to jump into there. So we picked like the, the topic was um, kind of about volcano tourism and the effects of that. And we okay. wanted to show kind of, yes, the beauty of it and what attracts people, but also the periphery effects on the economy, the town, um, everything you can imagine. So it was fun. It was challenging. Yeah. You know, it forces you to like think a little differently and, um, and at times take a 30,000 foot view and at times be very intimate and up close. And, yeah. and so I love that. But I would say every assignment um, requires a different set of focus and attention, you know, yeah. depending on what you're doing. For so sure. you try to find the unique angle. You try to find the human perspective, which is obviously a key theme of your work mm-hmm. as well. I mean, I really love the the Cessna shot mm-hmm. where you've gone up and you've got like, you know, you can see Reykjavik in the background. Mm-hmm. You're like really careful to say like, you know, this is like obviously this incredible natural phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. but let's let's contextualize it with the humans that live here. Right. You know, let's 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 remind ourselves as a city there. Right. There's right. people here, you know, this is actually pe- humans interacting with this. Is that a key? Spot on. Is yeah. that a key sort of, cause that seems to be like a recurring theme through your work, like taking these like incredible elemental landscapes mm-hmm. and experiences and trying to find the human experience in it. Is that, is that kind of a conscious yeah, thing for you? Yeah, you're, you're spot on. I mean, it's so interesting because a lot of the photographs on the wall, these are from uh, magazine assignments over the last 15 years. And you know, I was lucky enough to shoot surfing. It's what I grew up doing. I lived at the coast in California. It's just what I knew, right? We're always going to be sort of a byproduct of our environment or our experience. You know, if you played football growing up, you're going to have an advantage, yeah. you know, documenting that because you're going to understand the sport. So when shooting surfing, um, you are in these incredible natural arenas and it's the, the tendency or the likelihood to just shoot very tight, shoot what's happening. That was kind of at the time, 2000. Six, seven, that was kind of like the, the focal, the focal point, right? Like, and so I wanted to, I guess, show those subjects in the broader sense of where they are, the beauty yeah. of the place well, and all can, that. You can see it. Of I course. Mean, and know, so if, it, you, it, if you look at these yeah. beautiful prints that we've got up here, like you can yeah. see the, the, right. the and evidence of that. And what's, what's interesting is nowadays, yes, it is a trend to like add a subject into your photograph, but, but for these, the subject was already there. It, the point was to add the landscape as a context to the subject. Yeah. So it was about pulling back to give space for this subject that was already in the shot, as opposed to forcing somebody into an image simply because you think trend-wise it made it better. Um, so that tried to take that approach throughout the work, but, but I appreciate just the, you know, you saying, you know, I, I've always, you know, looked at the human element. I think that it's actually been a huge benefit over the years to kind of understand that, understand more and more the relationship we have with uh, our environment or with landscapes or yeah. with the planet and then try to like take that approach. So um, it's not always, you know, it, it's hard, kind of hard to articulate, but especially with the volcano, it was a real struggle because at times you're foregoing the beautiful, obvious shot that's right in front of you to go and like hike five miles to this other vantage point that like is a much crappier photograph. <laughs> but in the long run, once everybody's super inundated and overwhelmed with all the just the same, same, same beautiful landscape photos, they're gonna appreciate 
a different perspective. They're going to appreciate, you know, people putting up a cell tower on top of a hill in the snow because it's only because of that that this tourism event is able to happen. So you're trying to forego certain like very obvious, beautiful aspects. And I think it's about removing the blinders and like thinking a little more broadly. Has that evolved for you then that approach? Because you talk about your your earlier career, you know, your um your background in surf photography, the magazine work. Because you your background originally is like pure kind of print editorial, isn't it? Really? Yeah. You know, and yeah. that and that's an assignment based yeah like calling you yeah know, you get sent somewhere you got to find the story you already alluded to the fact that you're looking for that editorial position mm -hmm. when you do these things um as you've got to the position where you've got more creative freedom it seems like and you've got more kind of, you know you've earned the right to have this perspective <laughs> that we're talking yeah. about like has, has that evolved as well like the way that you approach this dynamic that you're describing totally i i would i would absolutely say that um it, it's an evolution it's still an evolution yeah you, there's no like yeah you haven't figured out when you when you, when you go somewhere for any purpose, like um, whether it's just purely personal, I'm going to travel to X, Y, and Z country and I'm going to shoot this. Yeah. Um, or you're going on assignment. Like I, I've started my <clears throat> career traveling um, with a camera. And what I mean by that is like it was for work. The first yeah. time I got on a plane sure. ever, used my passport, got a stamp, I had a camera and I was there on assignment. Right. I, I've never known traveling without an objective. And, um, I'll just say that I think that shaped me. Yes. I don't think it's the best thing, but I think it's also like a very, you know, for me, it's a, been a very helpful perspective because there's never really been this just kind of like, let's just go and see where the chips fall. There's always been something on the line, uh, you know, a deadline an objective. Um, and I think it's, uh, at times kind of forced me to, to, be creative even when the creativity wasn't there. Sure. Um, and I actually, when I'm, when I am like teaching workshops or I'm trying to work with younger photographers, I urge them, I say, you know, yes, you know, backpacking through Europe is such an amazing experience, but what if you're going and you have an objective when you're bringing your camera along yep. and you're going to do something creatively, think about it. Like, are you shooting portraits of X, Y, and Z people? Are you going to shoot this from, from this perspective that if your end goal is to actually do this as a career yeah. that will benefit you way more than just haphazardly going there and just, I have to take a picture of this like that. That's great. But what is the angle? What is the perspective? And then you pull that layer back and then you say, now what do you have to say about it? Yeah. Because if what you have to say about it is simply, I went there because I saw it and I was inspired to go. That's great. That's meaningful. But is there a deeper experience that you could extrapolate from that? I, I really wanted to show it from this perspective because of X, Y, and Z. I really wanted to uh, document this aspect. I hadn't seen this done, so I went there to do that. And guess what? I failed. That's an intimate story in and of itself. There's, yeah. a, there's a lesson learned. If we're just like constantly booking tickets to go somewhere, we're armed with a camera. Yeah. Uh, and we just like, I have to document this for no other purpose. That that's okay. And that's fine. But in terms of a of formulating a style a yeah. voice a career it, it, it can be counterproductive i understand like because we we did some questions on instagram uh, yeah before this and yeah yeah one of the really there's some really good ones one of the, and one yeah. of the really common questions was like please ask chris like how i make a career in this basically and the other the other thing that just struck me when you were talking about that was um so we've been working trolls on this like db fund this creative yeah. fund and we invited um, people to apply for that fund. And basically the idea is that we're going to give them mentoring and funding to, to basically do a trip that we're talking about. Yeah. And one of the things that I really, that really struck me about the entries that we had were that was the number of people that couldn't discern a story. Now there was a glimmer of a good idea in there. Mm -hmm. They would be like, well, I want to go to this place and I want to document this thing, but 
they didn't quite have the layering that you're talking about. No, they hadn't no, quite found. And the ones that we put through, the, the 10 that we put through, they they kind of cracked that. And it really made me think that that's probably where people who are aspiring to a career like yours or aspiring to like make creativity a profession. Oh, absolutely. That, that's, that's the key thing, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm the harshest critic. If I look at 10 photos of somebody's and they're just all the most epic images you've ever seen from the most obvious places where somebody could stand to take a photo. I'm like, that's, that doesn't inspire me. Yeah. I would it's rather not a story. No, it's not a story. You're yeah. just like that person like went there, stood in the spot, got great light, took a photo. What, what skill does that require? What, yeah. what creativity does that require? I'm looking at somebody who, even if they're just a mediocre photographer at this point or, a, you know, any creative, right. I want to see somebody who has a great concept and who's hungry enough to see it through. Yeah. When I, um, the very first opportunity I was really given was, um, there was a, uh, there was surfer magazine, trans world surf and surfing magazine, the, the three big titles, um, that kind of dominated that space, right? The editorial space surfing magazine had a photo editor named Larry flame. He passed away and they set up a grant in his name. And I won that grant when I was, uh, 2019 or something like that. And, and as a part of it, it was like, yes, you're going to get $5,000 what are you going to spend it on? Tell us. And you know, we want like a project proposal kind of thing. And, um, you could just say like, I just really need equipment. I'm going to spend that money on gear. It would have been great, you know, to not be shooting with like kit lenses and like the most basic stuff ever. Um, it would have been great to like, you know, put new tires on my truck so that the metal wasn't coming through or like feed myself something more than like a, um, you know, I don't even know. I won't, I won't get into the details of my below poverty living during that time period, but <laughs> I decided not to say that. And what I decided to say was, okay, I'm really inspired by California. I live there. I've never done the road trip from the Southern terminus to the Northern terminus, yep. Canada, like, or sorry, Oregon to, to Mexico. And I, that was what I pitched. I pitched, I want to do a book. It's going to be called the California surf project. It's, it's about documenting surf culture from the perspective of like a, you know, a virgin eyes, yep. you know, and we spent 50 days in a bus and it was still, it's one of the best selling projects I've ever done. Yep. I didn't envision it was going to be a best selling project. I didn't even envision we were going to get picked up by a publisher, yep. let alone Chronicle books, but we did that. Although I shot it on the most terrible equipment ever, mostly borrowed gear, like two lenses, yep. a Canon 20 D that I had bought from a friend in, in a black and white photo class who was a wedding photographer. That book has benefited me like in my career so immensely, I can't even describe it. I mean, like we could talk the whole time about just how the effects of that supported me. But point being is that it was all about having an idea. Yeah. Ideas are usually, so, so that kind of leads you back to like how our ideas form. You know, you have to spend the time immersed in the place and yeah. in the environment, usually without the camera or usually fostering real experiences. And so it begs the question kind of to get back to your point is like, are we spending enough time in these environments where we feel inspired and we, we, we questions are being posed to us or brought to us where we're just thinking about what if, yeah. what if this, what if that? And that's really what it was for me. Like, what if I had the money to do this type of trip yeah. and document it the way I wanted to? Yeah. And that's what I decided to do. Yeah. Well, I, mean, I think we're talking about a voice, aren't we? We're talking about like having a, having a point of view, having yeah, a voice, absolutely. you know, like, because in, and I don't think you need experience necessarily or like fancy equipment to do that. You know, you can always spot somebody that no. has a voice yeah. and has a, and has an has a stance and a mm -hmm. position you know and that's really interesting to to hear that anecdote because that that kind of explains that you had you kind of had that from the start you know you had an idea you were like right. well like this is a story that i want to tell this is how i want to tell it this is what it's going to reveal about this location right. this is what it's going to reveal about these people and obviously that was what was recognized you know yeah in that. and i think it is 
it, it's the part that does kind of separate, doesn't it? The people that, that, that tend to then have a bit more success and their, mm. and their career to broaden out rather than you say like the more one dimensional mm. approach that's quite common now, especially as the tools make the act more yeah. democratic, don't yeah. they? Because, yeah. you know, we've all got, because everybody's got, we've it. all yeah. got this <laughs> and everyone can take a half decent picture right. these days, but not everyone can take a meaningful picture. Right. And it's, it's, it's a very, it's a very, you know, it's a sole distinction, but it is a difference, I think, isn't it? And I, and I, I'll say that for me, <clears throat> I, I've, I've taken really great inspiration, uh, that I've drawn from, from some photographers that I, I really idolize and I idolize them because not because their work is incredible or this and that, but because they created a body of work within like a hundred miles of where they live. Prolific. Ansel Adams for one of them. Yeah. I was going to say probably the most famous example, right? Like, Everything he shot that's really well known was shot literally within 100 miles of like where he lived. It's amazing. Um, Michael Fatale, like a, a large format landscape photographer that I studied under for a short period of time. Everything he shot was of the Southwest. All of his 8x10 large format images that like filled the walls of his gallery. Just beautiful stuff. He just knew that landscape so intimately. So t at times I, I almost like feel kind of like, well, you know, yeah, when you travel around the world and you're able to go to all these places and search for the most unique landscapes, it's pretty easy. In fact, it's really easy to take a great photograph in remote Alaska. All you have to do is just be there and be stubborn enough to wait for the light to get good. That's not hard. That's usually been my skill. It's yeah. not raw talent and creativity. It's just stubbornness and willingness to stay. So usually when everybody else is packing up to go, yeah. I'm just still trying to like, <laughs> I'm just still trying to work hard and find that, find that moment, find that image. And, and yes, over time, talent has kind of evolved, but, yeah. it, but it evolved from a very raw place. And sure. I, I think it's best summarized um, in this book by Angela Duckworth called Grit, which is really interesting. It's a New York Times bestseller. She discusses the difference between somebody who's given raw talent and how maybe they don't appreciate it versus somebody who works very hard for it and then develops this just mindset that's that's built upon an ethic, you know? Work, yeah. 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 I mean, it's, I think it's like a Ben Franklin quote, isn't it? You know, like hard work beats talent every time, basically, oh, yeah. like, because that, that, that is the key ingredient, isn't it? You know? Um, well, I, I want to switch to the, the other big project you've been doing, which is this expedition along the coast in Iceland. And the reason yeah. I, I wanted to ask you about that is because it feels like at the moment you have got a really nice mix about the kind of more um, topical things that you describe, like mm -hmm. the volcano and also these personal projects that you're really passionate yeah. about, yeah. which, which, I mean, this really falls under that category, right? You know, I did a little, uh, little look at your Instagram before nice. we started. The quote is, um, an achievement in my life. I can't really verbalize just yet, mm -hmm. which really speaks to the significance of that whole mm -hmm. undertaking for you. So yeah. what, can you, can you explain a little bit just why it was so significant, this, this journey for you? Right. And I think that with that specific quote, a, a big part of that is just, I think that stories, sorry, this thing's popping so much. Um, I think that, a little bit more. yeah, let's get over it. Yeah. Yeah. Help me out. There we go. Yeah. Um, I think that stories need time to internalize. They need time to mature and this incessant need that, that media and social media has for us to just like vomit everything we experienced right away is very counter intuitive to how I work. You know, I'm used to writing to, to working on assignment and then three to six months later it would come out in a magazine yeah. um, or working on something long-term and then you have time to process it. And I, I like to give something meaningful to what I'm doing. I like to express it in a meaningful way. And so, yeah, it hasn't fully set in like, and I don't really know how to express this other than just when you're in those experiences, those expeditions, 
you are in a very primal state. Yeah. Like I tell my wife, I'm like, don't write me with anything important because I'm not going to be able to help you. I'm too worried about my nutrition, my food, my shelter, survival. Like my knuckles are bleeding because there's just volcanic sand, you know, everywhere. And it's just you're you're so focused on staying warm that the very and then what I mean by primal is like all you care about are your basic needs. Yeah. And that's a really hard place to come back from. Why do I still care about expeditions? Well, I think that for me as a storyteller, yeah. not as a photographer, it's critical that there are stories you are experiencing and you are a part of, and then there are stories you are documenting. And to me, I need both of those. Yeah. I need that, you know, that kind of bifold experience in order to continue to share meaningful things. Um, that expedition was, again, the, the hope and the goal is to create some sort of media from it that I can share yeah. um, when the time is right. Now, I really just have a phone full of thousands of images. Right. Um, and I, I shot a couple photographs on a tiny Sony RX100, right? But I didn't bring a big camera because I felt, not because I couldn't carry it, because I felt like it would have been too intrusive to the experience. Um, so I've, over time, learned how to balance those things better. Sure. People often ask, and it's a question that comes up, you know, rather constantly is like, how do you balance, you know, uh, being in the moment versus like documenting the moment? And I'm like, well, first of all, I don't really go to new places as much anymore. Right. And that's not something that I'm saying, like, I wish I could, I, I would like to, yeah. but I also think traveling is like a drug. And a lot of times when you go there, you're just so inundated by the sights and the smells that you're not really creating great work. Sure. You're, you're just like taking it all in sensory overload. Yeah. The more you go somewhere, the more you calm down and you're able to experience it. You, you extract more, yeah. you, you create more. Um, so I've really dedicated myself to going back to places, the Aleutians, remote Alaska, the Faroes, Iceland, yeah. that I really love. That's and really interesting because that explains, so, so it's almost like a familiarity is a platform yeah. to enable you to to express yourself creatively, really. Yeah. You know, like yeah. the more you, the deeper you get. And yeah. I, and I, I talked over you there, but it's just because no, I, was, I love it. I, I, I was, because it was a question I wanted to ask you because those, those, those journeys, those locations, yeah, there's, it's quite obvious you you go back a lot, you, mm -hmm. you know, and, and your relationship to them has evolved. So it's yeah. so interesting to hear you talk about it in this creative sense mm -hmm. that, you know, that's kind of what you try to do. Give yourself the environment to have yeah. these ideas and tell these stories. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're, you're fostering an environment where storytelling can happen and, and deep and immersive experiences. And nobody likes to hear this, but when people ask like, oh, what do I need to do to, to find my voice and this and that, I'm like, well, have you shot your first 10,000 images? <laughs> you know, like I've been back to Iceland 65 times, like, mm. There's a reason why I'm having really deep and immersive experiences yeah. there because my threshold for risk is up here because in the beginning, I didn't feel comfortable taking those risks. I didn't feel comfortable driving through the interior of the country in winter or do it like those are things that and risk in within my career is a, it's a balance, yeah. right? Within everybody's career, we're, we're risking things sometimes, you know, physically and emotionally. Sometimes it's more financially. There are risks we always take. Photography is about risks, I think, you know, um, and, and so the relationship with risk will evolve as you invest more time in a place, you invest more time in your equipment, yeah. you better understand it and with yourself. So yeah. to me, there's multi tiers here to this kind of aspect, but I, I feel strongly that for young creatives wanting to go and, you know, immerse themselves in a place, I'm like, just, you know, don't, don't put so much pressure 
on that first experience sure. to create something great. Yeah. Like, I, like that's, I feel bad for those now who are like, I'm spending this money. I'm going to this place. It's really got to pay off. And then what that does, this is like the, the worst formula ever is that that pressure yeah. forces people to then go and just tick off like the top five things well, that, just, they've, that they've seen before. Because if they don't go there, then their trip is deemed unsuccessful. Yeah, exactly. As opposed to real exploration. Well, it's not going to be a route to creativity, is it? Because like you say, you're just following a path that's already been trod. Mm -hmm. And, and, and you know, I mean, we, we see a lot on social media, like people mm -hmm. basically going to locations they've seen and then basically replicating mm -hmm. things that yeah. have already happened. You right. know, it's not really a recipe for original work, is yeah. it? You know, and it's also, but at, at in the same time, like that's also super meaningful. That's okay. Like it's okay to go and replicate and have an experience. Like I think it's more about what you say about it. Yeah. Me and you, we could stand at the same viewpoint, take the same photograph. Yeah. We could have vastly different experiences and maybe you will share something that just says, the mountains are calling and I must go. <laughs> probably and, not. But. <laughs> you probably wouldn't. But I might share something very deep and immersive and different and more intimate. And I think that that vulnerability can set you apart. Well, I really like that post you did about the little clip of you and your friend who he'd done the little reel of the lava yeah and that was exactly your point wasn't it you yeah. know we were basically both in the same place both had the same experience mm. but but told the story of that experience very mm. differently right you know so on the subject of commerce and creativity yeah let's say because this is another like key part of your your career I, I, yeah. if you don't mind me saying you know you've got a lot of partnerships you do a lot of commercial work yeah. it's good to put food on the table exactly yeah. so the, my question is have you, it's, it's almost like, has that evolved as well? Like how you balance those twin yeah. demands yeah. over the years? I, absolutely. And, and one thing I'll say, I love that, uh, that, <laughs> that phrase, like the balance of commerce and creativity. Cause it's, it really is like the truth. I will say also that for young creatives, I feel so bad that, that a lot of people get into this career path or hope to with so much pressure, like pressure that they have to do it all. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Like I'm, I'm going to embark upon being a videographer, a photographer, you know, is my, is my, is that, is my carbon footprint zero? Am I, am I here advocating for like, you know, the, the fires in Australia? Am I yeah. Is it enough just to like work and, and make money and like support those you love and support yourself? Isn't that enough? Like, yeah. it's okay. It's okay to come to a space where eventually yeah, you, you find something you're passionate about and then you put your time in there. And for me, like I, I live by that quote, Yvonne Chouinard said, you spend enough time in these wild places, you feel a sense of responsibility to protect them. Spend enough time is the, is the first important thing. He didn't go to Patagonia, Chile, right? And then all of a sudden be like first trip, like, oh, I'm, I'm going to, you know, advocate for this place. No, he went like hundreds of times. Yeah. Right. And that's the reality is like, you have to spend time. And, and I don't think ever in our, even just 15 years ago, 10 years ago, never were human beings able to process this much information. Yeah. It's a problem. So it's wild. <laughs> so it's wild that on a daily basis, you can be inundated with the world's problems and your communities and everybody else's, and you're expected to somehow fix them yeah. or somehow support them. It's okay. You don't yeah. have to do that. I'm going to, I'm going to just... Be bold here and give you permission. It's not your job to fix all the world's problems. Maybe start with your community. Maybe start with your family. Maybe it's the conversation with your mom. <laughs> I don't know. Um, that might be the scariest one. Feeling quite seen over here. <laughs> yeah. So I'll just say like as a creative, like 
it's okay. I, people, you know, again, I'm, I'm more speaking about what triggers me. I, I think if anything, yeah. because yeah. I've told people, I'm like, yeah, I don't really know how I can fix the issues within the U S but I do know that in a place I love like Iceland, I can advocate for the protection of glacial rivers. I can advocate for, um, you know, against extractive industries. I made a book about it. Yeah. You know, I've spoken in, uh, I've spoken at their, you know, their Congress about it. Like yeah. it's a place that I can see real change happen. So I invested my time there and I feel good about that. And yeah. that's where I'm still invested. Does that mean I'm going to, you know, I'm going to shirk away from other responsibilities? No, but I think these things come with time. And my point being is like, it's okay to just go out with the pursuit of simply creating something yeah. and being fulfilled. In yeah, that. yeah, yeah. Um, I'm going to do a couple more from Instagram yeah. actually. And then I think what we'll do is we'll, we'll open it to the floor. Um, William, do we have that other mic? Because that might just so that we can maybe pass it around to people. I can also questions. repeat the question. Sure. Yeah. Um, so one, well, actually this is one of my questions. Um, yeah, bring it. You talked about in a recent interview, the importance of vulnerability. Mm. Um, and you, you suggested that it really informed your work quite significantly. Mm -hmm. um, could you maybe expand, expand upon that? Expand yeah, upon absolutely. That a little bit? Um, I think that that really comes down to this idea that, you know, everybody, there's a million different words for it, right? But, yeah. but when it comes to like finding your voice, you know, or your style or your whatever, like this is a very uh, buzzword kind of thing. I, I really feel strongly that that is uh, the byproduct of learning how to be more vulnerable and then expressing what you feel and think and saw. And I think that if I've ever been able to enlighten people to one general concept, especially, I mean, it's funny because I usually formulate this into a conversation about social media, but it applies to everything is that when we as creatives or as creators, everybody is creating something. When we go online or we go in, in public or we go in a magazine or whatever, and we just simply describe to people what they can already see in the picture, we do the world a huge disservice. We do the viewer a huge disservice. We do ourselves a huge disservice. Why? Because people can see what's happening in the photograph. I don't need to tell you that it's cold out and they're surfing. Like, you, you know that they're, it's cold. You, there's a volcano behind them. There's, you know that they're surfing. Like, you get it. That's already there. What do I need to describe? I need to describe to people what they can't see. The visceral experience of what it was like for me to be there because I stood on the beach and I took the picture and, and I and I and I. So coming from a place of I felt this, I saw this, I heard this, I tasted this. And then what happens is inversely that informs how you guide your experience. Because if you're thinking about all those things, like, did you ever just sit there and like close your eyes and think about what it smelled like? Like, that's a beautiful thing. And, and then by doing so, all of a sudden you are there, you are more immersed. Um, so I think coming from a place of vulnerability, it's, it's, it's hard because I think that all of us struggle with using our voice, regardless of if you find it, how do you use it? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that's a kind of a broader perspective of what you asked, but that's really the way that I approach it. And yeah. yes, I've had to like come to terms at times with what I really care about, what I really value. Those are good questions to ask because then it, again, informs where I go, what I shoot, yeah. why I'm doing what I'm doing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's an honesty yeah. in, inherent in those answers, aren't mm -hmm. there? When you find them, you know, that, and you, if you can put it in your work, then it becomes honest, doesn't yeah. it? And it starts to resonate with mm -hmm. people. Um, Final question for me, and then we'll open it to the floor. Um, this was a good one on Instagram. What advice would you give your teenage self? 
That's a great question. I mean, there's a lot of advice. Keep it clean. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think that if anything, um, you know, I look back so fondly at a lot of the early moments in my career where I was, uh, again, like living below poverty level in my truck, just driving up and down the California coast, like trying to shoot waves and being at the parking lot of some random beach somewhere, not knowing anybody like those experiences, you're just, you, when you're in them, you're like, Oh, this is the worst. <laughs> and, um, you know, uh, you know, some like day old burritos on the floor and that's what you eat for dinner. Um, but I look back so fondly on those experiences now. Yeah. Um, and I kind of wish I would have just like soaked them in a little more. I was going to say, did, do you think you enjoyed them enough at the time? I didn't. No, not at all. I mean, I, my, my vi- literally, I wasn't even, I was never even thinking about the moment. Yeah. I was so like beyond what was happening in the moment that I was always like, okay, next week yeah. and tomorrow morning and yada, yada, yada. I'm just got to get through this moment and then I'm going to. This is the, and all you're doing is like progressively looking at the next thing as opposed to just enjoying it. And nowadays, like I truly like, I'm all I'm thinking about really, it's almost hard to plan ahead because I'm like, all I really care about is like, what's happening just today, this afternoon, what are my immediate needs trying to address those? And, um, and this is a funny thing because, um, to tie this back to like why I love Iceland is there's a saying in Iceland called tetaretast, which means it'll all work out. That saying is basically, oddly enough, it's kind of born in the generational trauma of them just always having to deal with whatever's happening. A volcano's erupting. Okay, well, it'll all work out. You can't plan a wedding six months ahead because you don't know if it's going to be storming or whatever. It's like, you don't know if the crops are going to survive because of the ash from Hecla. You know, like they've just always, so they, they absolutely live in the moment. Sometimes too much. It's really hard for them to plan ahead. There's a lot of negative things that come from that too, totally. But there's real beauty in an entire culture that exists very much in the here and now. And I think that that has helped me a lot and made me appreciate it. And I try to just absorb what I can from that. So that's the advice I would give my my younger self for sure. Great, great answer. Um, questions? Let's go. Who's got one? Come on, someone's got to have one. Yeah, there we go. Question. Um, if you would like to talk a little bit about the challenges weather-wise when you're traveling in Iceland or Alaska, and it's like super cold or a snowstorm, how do you keep back your motivation? Okay, so I might um, just repeat the question just yeah, yeah, for the recording. Please. Yeah. So yeah. basically, the question is like, how do you when you when you shoot in and you, on these expeditions and you've got weather and you've got bad things happening? Like, how do you keep your motivation going to yeah. to, to stay? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're not going to like this answer, but um, if I wanted to stay in bed or if I wanted to stay in my tent or if I wanted to stay in my camper van, I would have just stayed home because my bed at home is a lot nicer than that crappy hotel in you know the northeast of Iceland or whatever it is. So like, I think that what it comes down to inspiration is not a never ending resource. So that being said, that means you have a well that you have to fill up because if you're taking barrels from that well, you're taking buckets from that well, you know, again, if I'm on an assignment and I'm giving 110% to that assignment, um, my time is somebody else's. So I've got to be able to give something to them and to everybody on that shoot or everybody on that project. When I'm home, I have to focus on filling up my well. And what does that mean? It means not picking up a camera. It means spending time with my family. It means 
at times, I mean, again, this is getting more into like interpersonal things, but like cutting out people from your life who just simply do not support your vision, drag you down or are overall just negative in general, like life sucks, right? As we call them. So like that has been a very conscious thing because I know now how much work asks of me. I know now how much my crew asks of me or other people. And, and that take, took a lot of time. And so it's not hard for me to find inspiration when the weather's crappy or when any of these things, um, because I know that I took the time at home to fill up my well so that I can just keep drawing from it, right? And, it, and, and also recognizing when are you getting tapped out and just being very aware of like what fills you up. I can't answer that for you. I don't know. I mean, I know what fills me up and I know what I, what I like already when I'm home, like, cool, I'm going to get a massage. Haven't gotten a massage in like <laughs> six months or like three months. I'm like, I'm going to go do this. I'm going to go eat here. Like, like little things, right. That you, not just stuff you enjoy, but stuff you need, you know, that's really important. And then also too, I think at a moment, at a certain moment, you recognize, like, look at almost every single one of these images. There's not a single photograph where there's a clear sky. Like, you know that I know that. I mean, except for that one kind of, um, <laughs> but it's like are good images ever shot when the weather's perfectly no they're not usually it is when there's a storm or something's raging there's a motion there and to speak to that for just a quick second typically when we are thrust into hardship we have a more visceral connection with it i, I gave my ted talk about that subject because it was studied by a um australian psychologist about how um those kind of traumatic experiences they, they leave a deeper impression and trauma isn't always based around like bad things happening. It's also like the wind or the rain or whatever it is. Like you remember it more. So that, to me, that's important. Can I ask a quick follow-up question yeah. on that? Um, so you mentioned knowing when you tapped out, mm. but you must have so many opportunities. You know, you must have people and, and a lot of them, you must be like, oh yeah, that'd be, that'd be good. You know, yeah. <laughs> like, so how do you make those choices? Especially when your career, when your career is like, obviously on an upward track, trajectory like yours yeah. has been over the last decade that's a really excellent question um i'm not like the the, the very best person to ask that because i'm um <laughs> a recovering workaholic i guess you could say yeah that's <laughs> like kind of why i ask because yeah. it kind of comes across well you know, it, the thing is is like i grew up in a blue collar home yeah my you know my dad stepdad still like works every day of his life yeah and like i the idea of turning down work was like it was like sacrilegious like you would never say those words you would never do that and so when you're born in a situation you're, you're growing up and all you see is like take everything you can get it's very fight or flight it's very like feast or famine and so all of a sudden when you have a career and opportunities start coming in you're like i'm gonna take them all yeah then you get burnt out and then that's a recipe for like serious mental health issues or other things so I, I read a great book called um, Essentialism by Greg McKeown. I hope everybody's writing this down or has already read it because it's the best book I've ever written. It's basically about how saying no is saying yes to what you want and how do you identify that and how do you create time for that in space. It was the, one of the best reads and essentially he is like a was somebody who used to consult for like Steve Jobs and all these other like high-end CEOs and also other people. Excellent book, excellent read, very quick and I just – read that like four or five years ago. And I was like, what am I doing? Like, right. what? like you can't just talk about the idea of like wanting to be carve out time for your kids or your family and then never, never do it. If you just keep filling your schedule with stuff. So, and what I found is that by actually saying no to certain things, it was like what I was saying yes to, I was getting paid more for. And 
I could, cause my time was more precious. Yeah. 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 Okay. Really interesting. Um, anyone else? Any more questions? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I the, do. So the question there yeah. is how do you balance uh, professional and private life? Yeah. Great question. Yeah. Yeah. I'd be ill-equipped to answer that without my wife here. <laughs> and so because I got that question so many times, I did a podcast with her. The only podcast I've ever done personally, I put it, it's on my website along with like 300 other podcasts, but you can find it. It's me and my wife discussing that um, at length. It's two and a half hours. So I would first and foremost, listen to that because nothing I tell you here in 30 seconds is going to answer that as well. But I will say this. Um, I got married when I was super young, met my wife when I was very young. I think that there's a tendency nowadays for people to like, I mean, it doesn't matter whatever your you know, preference is with, with getting married or having a partner, it doesn't really matter. The point is that if you think that you want to wait Till the moment is perfect, it's never going to be because all that happens is the older you get, the more you become cemented in who you are as a person and the less likely it is that you're going to a mesh. So like I built my career with the intention around her as a support and she was very aware of that. And so we made this work from the beginning together. So it's a, it's a unique perspective, but again, it's not everybody's perspective and that's all I can speak from. I will say that when you bring kids into it, it just magnifies the whole thing and makes it way more complicated. And if I get home from a trip and my kids ask me where I've been, I've already failed. Like, why, why would they not know? And so with that, a big part of it is like, am I thinking about them while I'm gone? Am I considering them? What am I doing to make them feel connected? Am I showing them videos and photos of what I'm doing and, and finding time to talk to them? We live in such a technologically advanced society that it's very easy to stay connected with people. Very easy. Um, and so I, I, there's a lot more to that a big part of it too, is like, it's so easy to come back from an experience with your significant other. And it's an ebb and a flow, right? It's not about balance. I really hate that word because there's never balance. It's never just balancing. It's rhythm, right? What's rhythm? It's peaks and valleys. It's up and down and it's going to peak and valley. Sometimes I'm going to be on a trip for, and see the most beautiful things on the planet. And all I want to do is come home and just, you know, vomit all this information onto my wife. And she's been in the, the doldrums of just, you know, having to, you know, start the kids back at school and yada, yada. So it's really about sometimes like understanding the needs of the partner. And like, sometimes it's like taking a moment, giving them time to go experience something new, because if both people are essentially um, one person is having new experiences that are helping them grow in some capacity, you know, getting outside of their comfort zone. So we like to say, and the other person isn't, that's really challenging because you're going to be growing at a different rate and in a different space. So I've found that it's crucial. It's crucial for both of us to have a thing or, or places or experiences that force us to grow and do that so that we can take time. And it's, yeah, it's a lot longer conversation. I hate to just gloss over that one, but it, but it's a great question. And one that I, I, Think about every single day. Yeah. Anybody else? There we go. You first with a cap. How do you balance social media and the, the more um, reflective creativity? Let's put it that way. Yeah. So that's a great question. So it's a funny one because what you're saying without saying it 
is how do you balance the pressure of sharing something good? Because if you were just concerned about sharing, who cares what it is? You could just post a picture of your face and your beautiful beard. And you could just be like, be like Monday. It's <laughs> yeah, a good bed, I gotta you know? say. You could just be like, whatever, you know, but that's not it. You're talking about sharing something good. And so I think that the reality is that if we create kind of these imaginary barriers to what we have to share and the quality of that, um, it becomes hard because then you're chasing the, the rhino. You know, you're chasing that, the, the bunny, whatever it is. You're just that thing that you'll never achieve, which is like everything I share or put out in the world is going to be meaningful and amazing. And, you know, you know, I don't even know, like uh, children will be born, you know, because of it. It's like, it's not going to be like that. Sometimes I really like to oscillate between things that I feel are personal, things that I feel are meaningful, things that I feel are creatively my best. And then sometimes I share something that's purely because I want to educate people like yourself on how I did it so that you could do it. So I, I literally do a social media presentation this is a big part of what I talk about is like what a, there's a cycle typically. And I'm like, I'm trying to understand who my user groups are. And then I try to serve those user groups, meaning that there's either people who just want to like have an escape because they're working the nine to five and they just want to see something beautiful or people who might want to know more personally about my experience, what happened, yada, 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 or somebody who might want to do what I'm doing and they want technical information on like, well, how did you get to the volcano? Well, what did you shoot this with? Well, what kind of lens? Well, what kind of backpack? Well, what, you know, stuff like that. So I'm trying to serve those groups of people, um, speak to them essentially. And all I would say is if you just let go of some of that pressure, I think the process becomes a lot more fun, becomes a lot more. And, and, and it's super funny because people get so caught up in the fact that like, oh my gosh, you know, Instagram is going to this and blah, blah, blah. Like, if that is your only mode of expressiveness, I would, I would feel very sorry for you. We, we need other ways to express ourselves. We need to work on long-term things, on, on web pieces, on print pieces. Um, to me, the less like gallery-esque social media becomes and the more real it becomes, I think that's great. If that means migrating over to like five-second videos, who cares? Like I, uh, to me, it's just, it's just another way of expressing. And guess what? It's not our real estate. It's borrowed real estate, yeah. but like we don't own it. So we don't pay for it. If everybody was like, oh, you got to pay 25 bucks a month and then you can post whatever you want. Like, would you probably, I don't know, maybe, but a lot of people wouldn't care. So it's just this funny thing where I, I, I look forward to the opportunity for content storytelling to be less about this super high end experience and more about raw, real stories, you know? And that's why I love like sharing What's happening in my daily life in the day to day, I guess. You had a question, didn't you? Yeah, it, actually it's not really a Right, right. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, highlights. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. And it's more natural. It's more easy. It's actually easier. It's easier to share those more realistic parts of your life, like the struggles of like traveling with the family and trying to cultivate good experiences with your kids. And, and what's super interesting about that is that that's some of the most engaged content ever because people like to see a realistic approach to like, like I'd almost rather do a workshop based around like, what's it like to raise kids in 2022 and whilst having a creative career, you know, um, I mean, that's an interesting topic to me. It doesn't get spoken about a lot. No, it doesn't. All All people, all people care like, well, how do you make money doing blah, blah, blah. Like making money is not hard. It's, it's raising a family and feeling connected with them. That's the crux, right? Like I, I think that, you know, being a photographer is not the challenge. It's kind of like not losing your soul in the process. Yeah. Um, but I, I really appreciate that. That means a lot. You know, I think that as time has gone on and I've recognized again, like what are the core aspects of like who I am? Like, yeah, like a gallivant, you know, a globe gallivanting photographer is a, is a great, you know, beautiful thought, but really it's like, no, my, my family is critical to my experience. And, um, I'm constantly looking for ways to, uh, like embed them with, with knowledge and ideas. And, and I, and I don't, don't know how to like put this in the right way. I haven't fully formulated this thought, but there's a certain point where you've seen so much beauty out there that it becomes a tiny bit, um, dull. And so to see it from fresh eyes, even if selfishly is truly the sweetest experience. Like I cherish that. And it almost makes me like emotional to think about because it's hard to go to places that you've seen something and you've taken it in and you've immersed yourself. And then, and to, and to know that like you could never fully translate that through a photo or through a video, but when you go there and you get to see somebody light up because they saw it, like that's, that's it. Like that's what I love the most. And even being able to, again, take, you know, full blown adults on workshops to beautiful places and see them experience it. It's almost like I'm getting to relive that little like, dopamine experience once again. So it's really fulfilling and the kids are great for that. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's it selfishly, they're really good for that. Anybody else? Yeah. yeah. Okay. You first. What's the reason you're here? Yeah. Um, I actually came here to um, do some work with Pac, the brand. Um, we were doing some product testing um, I, I rode um, this uh, gravel bike race, the Nordic Gravel Series, out in, I don't even know where I was, two hours from here. It was beautiful, exceptional gravel roads, and we were testing some new helmets and testing some some bike gear and whatnot, um, so that was really fun. It's been really fun to expand. You know, you spend enough time chasing around professional athletes, um, photographing them, that you realize, like, you you know, you definitely have a I have a penchant for wanting to like be out outdoors all day long and um, riding a bike is one of those ways that I really enjoy slowly experiencing landscapes. And so it's been great to work with them. And then I had time and I, I reached out to my friends at DB and I, I, we put together this event and um, about six months ago, they came out to California and we shot some products and, and talk design about um, a new bag series um, that's just released. And I'm coming out with actually something new with them in the next probably six, seven months. I don't even know. Um, but they flew to Iceland while I was there and we were testing some more products. So I, I really enjoy the idea of creating something that is either solving a problem or creating a solution for an issue within 
the the work that I do, right? So um, I feel really empowered to kind of like work with brands to bring um, products to life like that. It's really a fun part of my job. So that's what I'm here for. And then I fly back to Iceland tomorrow. Then I fly back to California. And then I'm home for a while, which is great, um, hopefully. So, Jim. What's your thoughts on digital manipulation in documentary photography? Yeah, I don't think in documentary work it has a place personally because the, the interesting thing is like I, I really I really love um, the history of photography and a lot of people don't fully understand that like what made Ansel Adams' work so profound was that prior to him, photography was not viewed as art at all. That's what the group F64 was vouching for. They were saying photography is art. It's not just for documentation because photography came about as what? It was a tool used mostly by the military to document things, right? To have references and photos and everything. So, I mean, when you read into the history, it's really interesting. They were like, you know, there was like their, the galleries wouldn't accept their work. There's no place for photography in the art world, right? Um, and so I think that I love the idea that a, a photograph is a record of, a, of an experience you could witness. To me, that's really important. Now, I think that, you know, enhancing colors or this and that, that's, that's all kind of a part of the experience. When you used to shoot on slide film, like myself, you would use ectochrome because it would enhance the greens. You would use Velvia because it would enhance the blues. I've never in my entire life shot a digital photograph that looked as bright and colorful and vivid and crazy at times as a slide film photograph. It's just, and the truth of the matter is that it's kind of hilarious because coming from a magazine background, the amount of time it would take to scan a slide, they would have to brush out all the little hairs on the drum scan. Then they'd have to take the scanning cast off. You're talking like 40 minutes for each image that you'd scan to then process on a computer to get into the magazine. Hilarious. Ultimately, I love digital photography. I love what it's provided me having shot film early in my career. Um, and I think that artistic manipulation as a, as a terms of just creating art is awesome. Like that's the tool for it, right? Like double exposures and or photo manipulation, that's great. I think it has a place, everything has a spot. I think when it comes to documentary, it's obviously to me not really the place for it because there needs to be a distinction, right? Um, or, and, and I think it, it, in, a, in a world where like <laughs> we can't trust anything we read, hear or see, it's kind of nice to be able to trust photographs, you know, or at least we want to as a record of like what it was like. And I honestly feel, um, I feel like it's a responsibility of the photographer that if I'm going to say, hey, this is the Aleutian Islands in Alaska, this is Umnak, you should go there. This is amazing. And you go there and you're like, that's like, what? Like it doesn't look like this. Like I, I, would, I would feel um, like I'm letting someone down. It's my job to, to create, yes, at times a surreal moment because I'm spending the time or shooting a long exposure or something like that. But I want people to be able to expect that they could see that. Yeah. 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 That is my manipulation. <laughs> yeah. 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 I think, I think it loot to me, you, you lose a little bit of your soul staring at a computer to create the image to me that the photograph was created on the beach. Nothing will ever mirror what I saw in my eyes. It's the same thing as like, to me, I love shooting with drones. They're so fun, but aerial photography is so different. 
you're putting your head and your hand out of the window of a Cessna or a helicopter, you feel the wind, you know, your, your lens is like being pushed in. It's, it's negative 10 or whatever it is. You're, you know, you're, you can't move your face. It's such a real experience. You're, you're smelling the fumes. Like that's real. You know, when I'm just like hun like huddled over, like flying with a drone, I'm like, uh, like, is this really like creating something that I'm going to remember? I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like there's a difference there and not say either one is better or worse, but it's just different. Yeah. Anyone else? Yeah. Trolls. Mm. So I guess that question would be, has experience or intuition um, the key factor in finding the hidden story in an image, let's say? Oh, absolutely a learned trait. Absolutely. Um, it's a great question. I, I would say that um, I wrote an article for Red Bulletin years ago about kind of the importance of a road trip in a photographer's work. And it's, it was kind of a funny article because the whole point was just basically – paralleling myself, Keith Lozinski, Jimmy Chin, Renan Ozturk, Ansel Adams, and how all of these people, you know, whether it was somebody who was on a, a road trip climbing with their friends and then they broke their leg and then they picked up a camera and, and whatever, Ansel Adams had these early road trips to Yosemite because he was from San Francisco and he was like so, you know, just enamored by the walls and everything. Uh, for me, it was the California Surf Project, 50 Days, in a bus, traveling with a close friend. Point being is that you're never going to find that voice, that experience, that deeper meaning if the camera is kind of just a haphazard tool you pick up whenever you want. But if you're immersed in the process, doesn't matter if it's a road trip, but if you're immersed in the process of like, I remember being on that, living in a Volkswagen bus and basically like from the first thing I would do in the morning before drinking water or brushing my teeth or Taking a pee was like, I'm going to take a picture. I'm going to grab my camera and you, you're living with this thing. And the last thing I do at night was take a picture. So you, it becomes this like part of you. And I think what's beautiful is at a certain point, the creative barriers start to like break down, meaning like, oh, how do I get this shot? Well, like this lens, this filter, whatever it is, like, or I, I'm going to shoot a tripod. I'm going to shoot a long exposure. This is the f-stop. This is the aperture. So many people get hung up on that component of it that they never get to like break through to the other side of feeling like, cool, well, I can like hold up my camera and take a picture and I know what the framing is going to be and I could be looking at something else. So all I'll say is like those 10,000 hours are important for everybody. If you ever hope to kind of achieve beyond that and you look at a lot of the masters of this work and they've put in, you know, the amount of hours they've put in is just, it's, it's exceptional. And no wonder they, they, they know the camera inside and out. No wonder Ansel Adams could shoot something, know what the exposure was going to be, only to then process it in the dark room and have it look totally different. Like his negatives were so – I've, I've held them. I've looked at them at the Center for Creative Photography in Tucson, Arizona, where his work is held. Like it is so vastly different than his printing process. It's, it's amazing to see it. Truly, his mastery was in the dark room, not – out in the field. Um, and I love that. I love that he had spent so much time to where he could then know exactly what he was going to, the results he was going to get. And so I think that it's kind of a roundabout way of answering the question, but yeah, I mean, I think that that time spent is crucial and, and, and what it really is, it's, it's un like 
unfettered time, you know, like time that's not where you don't have other restrictions. And, and I know that's hard to come by these days, but I think it's crucial. Yeah. Should we do one more? Anyone else? As many as you guys want. Yeah. <laughs> I just... Any more? Anything at all. There we go. One yeah. more. Could you just tell us a bit about this picture here on, on uh, Kamchatka? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry for those who can't see it. It's a photograph of a sunset, um, a big kind of, uh, or those rectilinear clouds. I can't remember. They're big, like very fast moving wind clouds that look like whipped ice cream. And there's this mm -hmm. truck, um, this, this, uh, I think it's called like an MI eight, like, uh, you know, 21 passenger troop carrier in Kamchatka, Russia. And, um, I remember sitting there and we actually went to this river to fly fish because the surf was bad. And so we were fly fishing at this river, waiting for the surf to get good. And Russia is known, Kamchatka specifically is known for just the incredible salmon, right? Like amazing. We ate salmon almost every night. Mm -hmm. And um, I remember seeing these clouds form. And, you know, I was obviously there as a photographer shooting for this assignment for Surfer Magazine. And back in the day, I was always considering like, okay, well, what, what, are, the, what are the key things I need to document? You know, a cover maybe you know, of kind of a vertically oriented photograph. And I want like a spread, you know, that could like help tell the story. I, I was only given sometimes eight pages, sometimes 16 pages, sometimes four pages. I need photographs that tell a broad story. And when you look at this photo, you, I mean, you immediately know like, okay, for me coming from the States, like this isn't the States, this is somewhere different. You know, you're not driving around in a, a, you know, huge military tanker. And then you have this wild landscape, these distant volcanoes, this reflection. You know, I, I wanted the image itself to feel like this could immediately upon seeing it, the viewer could be like, okay, well, what am I getting from here? I have clues. I'm getting clues to the story. So this photograph evolved. I was shooting fly fishing. The clouds were really amazing. And then one of the guys was sitting on the back of the truck because there's like a big ladder up there. And the, the person in the front was our driver, Sergei. He was just sitting there, like just watching the river and everything. And I remember as these clouds are evolving, I'm like walking around the river and I'm like, okay, this is really cool. And all, there's this volcano on the left. There's them. And I'm thinking this is a beautiful center spread meaning that I want my subject over here and then I want something equally interesting over here and then I want it divided here with nothing in the middle. And so I remember yelling to the guys, I'm like, hey, will, you, will the rest of you guys go up there so I can grab this one kind of shot at the very end of the night? And that was what I shot. And I was, I was the, one of the spreads, opening spreads for Surfer Magazine. Any other questions? Good ones, anything at all? Yes. Will you consider moving to Iceland given your relationship with the country? I would be happy to. I have my social security number there, Canatella. That doesn't really mean much other than there are some great benefits to it. But um, I hope to someday receive citizenship, but it's a challenging process because you need to be there for a long period of time without leaving, which would be tricky, <laughs> um, mainly because of the what I have back in the states, my office, my employees, family. Um, but absolutely, it's it's a goal. I'm working towards it. I'm trying to find some other ways to kind of uh, navigate that without you know without leaning too heavily on like my privilege there. But um, absolutely, you know, one of the ways in which that can happen is if you buy property in a fairly remote part of the country where you're supporting the sort of uh, um, survival of one of these smaller remote towns that they can sometimes give you uh, citizenship because they know you're contributing to that, you know? Um, so 
Yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's absolutely a goal. My my dream would be for my kids to go to school there um, and experience a, a mindset and have their eyes open to a culture that's outside of the U.S. and um, and so that eventually they can choose where they'd want to be and where they'd want to live. And that's really important to me. And obviously, you know, in general, Nordic countries are just you know my personal favorite. Maybe it's because I like black licorice. Um, I don't know, <laughs> but um, I, I I do love it there. And um, and uh, the people too, you know, are really, really important. And so I think that, yes, the landscape is amazing and this and that, but as we spoke about before, you know, when you find relationships in those places, it just changes everything because then you start to care about what they care about and you start to feel more connected. And, and that's really critical. You feel less of an outsider and more like you're, you're embedded into the, into the um, community as a whole. Yeah. The first assignment, so how did I end up in Iceland in the beginning? 2000, uh, like six or seven or eight, something like that. I was on assignment for Men's Journal documenting a surfer named Timmy Turner who had gotten staph infection in his brain. This is a random story. Um, I wanted to go and I was looking for any excuse to go there. And Timmy Turner was working on a new film um, because he wasn't allowed to surf in warm water anymore. Cause he had got staph infection. Like part of his brain was removed, um, from surfing in Indonesia. Uh, basically, um, he hit the reef and just, you know, terrible thing. Anyway, we went there. It was a profile piece. It was amazing. We slept on the beach. We were there in spring. It was freezing mm-hmm. cold. I saw the Northern lights. I ate, you know, chocolate covered ice cream and had all the great classic perks. I mean, literally we saw like 0.01% of the country, but it was just, it really caught my attention as, as, it felt so different and so unique and so raw. And I think I, I really wanted that um, because at the time I was simply going to places that my editors were telling me to go to and trying to just do anything I could to like get the assignment and get the pages in the magazine and make them happy to collect my measly $2,000 retainer a month, you know, to then live off of, which was like nothing. Um, and so ultimately, yeah, it, it, I went there at a time in my life where it was super significant. And I think the way in which I did it was so, um, hmm, to use that word primal, you know, kind of like, um, it wasn't like I was just kind of gallivanting and having fun. And, and it, there was, it wasn't even the type of time when you could do that. There was no tourist infrastructure really. Pre Eiffel, you know, eruption, pre-tourism opportunities. It was just like, there was like one kebab stand downtown Reykjavik <laughs> and a hot dog. So there was none of the fancy restaurants or anything. It was dark and gloomy. And I, I just, I don't know. I loved it. So. Can, I, can I ask a quick follow-up? Yeah. Follow did you, Many as you want. did you recognize it as a, like, oh, I've got, there's, there's some uncharted territory here like, that I could document. Did Absolutely. You? I yeah. mean, it felt kind of like, I mean, I'll just say this, like it felt like low hanging fruit. I was like, yeah. oh my God, like I don't have to be a good photographer. I don't even have to be creative. <laughs> I can just go to these awesome places and take pictures and people are going to lose their minds. And they did like my first photos of like the ice lake or like the crappiest photos ever, you know, just midday we're like shooting, but it was, it blew people's minds, you yeah. know? And then all, and then you go there for a, a very distinctive purpose, finding surf and these backdrops and these, the setting that we were in was just like otherworldly. It felt very special. And, and again, I, I just, it left a deep impression. Yeah. And, um, it was the the odd thing. I mean, I love Reykjavik, my apartments in Reykjavik now. Um, and I love the community there and like the walkability and the food and all these things. There was like 
you know, I went like 12 times and I would just be like, no, I'm never going to go to Reykjavik. I'm not even going to drive through the city. I would just leave the airport and go straight <laughs> to the coast or go straight to Vik or go straight to like these remote little spots. And like, there was probably a good six years where I never even drove to the city and now I love it. And it's yeah. just funny how it evolves, you know, like sure. the process and yeah. where I go now. And again, like looking more for like opportunities to share those experiences with other people or friends or my kids or somebody else. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Anybody else? Any questions? It's great questions, by the way. Yeah. Anything there we at go. all? Yeah. One down here. Any aspects of photography that you're yet to explore that you're excited by? Not that I'm excited by because I'm mostly scared of like shooting like in studio or shooting it, shooting like intimate portraiture or things like that. It's just, but maybe that's the space that I should move into because it would be the space of most growth. Um, but no, I, I feel very uh, blessed to be able to have for the most part explored a lot of the types of photography I want. I think that what I look forward to now is not really photography, but storytelling in a more deep and immersive way, making films, directing, working with brands to tell immersive stories, working with other people to help their stories be told. Like I, you know, last January I went uh, with National Geographic and I produced um, a film for them on another photographer. Like that was a joy. I was in a place I love. I was working with somebody else to get their vision realized. Like that's fun for me. It's not always about picking up the camera. And I will say this, it becomes very limiting when like imagine going to a great coffee shop and the only thing they make is a cappuccino. <laughs> that would kind of suck, right? Like they wouldn't really be a great coffee shop. So imagine as a creative, it's like all I have to express myself is this one tool you know, that's kind of what it's like when all you have is photography. And that's what I felt like for the first like 10 years of my career. I just had this one tool. And all of a sudden I started to add more things into my tool belt. I started to like find my voice and like learn to express that. And, and I would do slideshows with films. I'd go to like a surf shop and show a film and I'd, I'd get up and speak. And at first I was terrified and I'm like, uh, this photo is, uh, from, uh, you know, like, and I just didn't know how to express my, so you found your voice. That's another tool. And then all of a sudden you're working on a book and that's, that's another tool. And then a film, right. And then you're directing and you're producing and then you're, you're starring in it, you know? So as the repertoire and the tool belt has grown, you know, now I look like one of those weird dudes with like a fly fishing vest with all these like things on it, you know? So, but I love that. Like, that's fun to me. And I think that, um, I love photography. It'll always be at the core of the way I see the world, but I, I almost find myself turning away from it because I want to find other ways. And I love the idea or the fact that, that I can use this as a tool. Why? Because it's super relatable. Everybody has one. It's not threatening to the subject, right? It's not threatening to your experience or rather the intimacy of an experience because you can just go there and, and I can, you know, film my kids or my family or whatever, and I can make something meaningful from that. So to me, that's important. And that's kind of the way I look at it. But yeah, I mean, there's, there's always a place I want to shoot. There's always a, an environment I want to go to, you know, like if well, that's really fun. That was going to be my follow-up question, actually. What about landscape? Because obviously you've water, hmm. snow. What about desert? You know, could yeah. you could you see yourself? It's, you know, maybe a little bit of a slightly silly question, but could you see yourself immersing yourself in a completely new landscape in the way that you have with Iceland? Um, you know, I I feel like growing up in California and and being spending a lot of time in Utah and Nevada and those I've I've spent a lot of time there, the desert. 
is a great place. It leaves a little to be desired at times, but that was almost like my upbringing yeah. was like the red rocks of Moab and all that stuff. So I, I know that will be there. Yeah. Um, and I do love it, but the places that really inspire me now are more remote. Yeah. Way off the beaten track, like islands that are, you know, like the Kerguelen's like research that for a second, like crazy. Like you have to be on a French science vessel to even get there. And they go once every two years, like, like stuff where you're like yeah. the barrier of entry is so high. When I went to the Kuril islands, the chain between Russia and Japan, I mean, that was a dream that was realized over like six years. Like I've wanted to, I've studied that place and wanted to go and we got there and it was incredible. It's almost so incredible that you share the photos and they're just so highly unrelatable. People can't even appreciate it Yeah, <laughs> because nobody's going to be able to go there unless they're chartering a, you know, a boat from Kamchatka and whatever. And it's not even about cost. It's just about the fact that you're the time to spend yeah. to do that trip and to invest in it and blah, blah, blah. So those are the places that really like they keep me up at night. Yeah. I think about them. I think about the photos I didn't get yeah. or the drone that got attacked by a bird and then crashed <laughs> and then the photos are gone. And then I think about all these things and I'm like, Oh, if I could just be there, you know, that's what I think about. And that's really what keeps me up at night. And I, and I still find places like that in Iceland, like remote corners of the country that feel so different and unique, you know, yeah. and, um, and, and less and less maybe in California. Um, just, you know, because I've spent so much time there. And yeah, yeah you've so. already got that familiarity. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. familiarity breeds contempt. So. Yeah. So they say, um, anybody else? Yeah. yeah. Do you ever put the camera away to embrace the moment on its own terms? Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. A lot. I mean, it's part of why I really love just traveling with this. You know, and, uh, and when I'm with my kids, like I'm not slinging a camera around my neck because I want to really be there. Um, the nice thing is that the more time you spend in the same places, the more time you invest there, um, you feel like you've had that experience. You've, you've already connected with it, right? It's tricky when you go somewhere new. And I remember this vivid example. I, my first assignment ever, I was going to Dubai, Yemen, and Oman for Transworld Surf. First time I'd ever got on a plane anywhere, passport, first stamp, everything. And I remember going there and just being so incredibly overwhelmed that like the camera became this like tool to create like distance between me and my subject and my experiences because like, okay, I'm here. I have a purpose. Like, God forbid, I just like put the camera down and like try to connect with somebody. Cause I was terrified. You know, I mean, this is just, you're out of your comfort zone. You're different languages, different food, different smells, different cultures, very hard, you know? And, um, I look back at those images and I hate all of them. They're terrible. I mean, yeah, I, there was an article that came from it, but those photos suck. They're, they're, they're trash. I mean, even the portraits and everything, just because it was, it, there was such little time spent connecting with somebody. So there wasn't really much that came through visually that was like immersive and real and raw. Um, and I think that's critical. Like I learned that lesson early on, like you cannot do that. I can't do that for every, you know, whatever, 10 minutes I spend shooting, I need to spend 20 minutes just like absorbing the space, connecting with the space, right? And granted, if I went back, I would have that familiarity. And that's what I do love about going back to familiar places. You're doing more than just documenting. You're like, you're, you're setting down roots. That's really important to me. Um, so yeah, I think that's a critical part of the experience, a critical part of like feeling something more than just the click of a, the depression of a shutter, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. 
Let's do one more and then we'll call it. There we go. Mm. How do you find the confidence to tell a story? Yeah, mm. good question. That's an excellent question and one that there's no real right answer for because I would say that what's really tricky is anybody who's invested time into a creative process, especially at a young age, you are so, it is so hard to find validation, right? Validation inspires confidence, right? A lot of times nowadays for this generation that's coming up and myself as well, like we seek validation in places that aren't really validating social media and online. It's not a very validating source, right? Yeah. It's not um, a good starting point, is it? Really? No, it's not. And it's very, uh, and that I think is so dangerous to find that validation. And a lot of times, yeah, like validation from like, you know, your mom or your dad maybe isn't the most, you know, great source either because, you know, they're always going to tell you you're doing great <laughs> or at least mine would. And I'd be like, oh my God. Um, so I think finding and seeking the right validation, understanding how to discern what that validation looks like. Everybody wants a pat on the back that they're, that they're on the right track, that they're doing the right thing and, or that they're making mistakes, but learning from those mistakes. And so I think that I look back in my career and I look at the moments where I did receive like real validation. And that was like huge. It was such a huge milestone to be like, I'm doing something that's correct. I'm on the right track. And that inspires confidence to then know that you can openly share like what you're experiencing and, and your story and feel um, empowered by that. Right. But it comes slowly, you know, it's like, oh, you, you might have that one online article and then your photo got published here and then a photo got printed here and then somebody utilized it there. And then, you know, this thing went viral. It's, it's, a, it's usually like a culmination of a bunch of things, right? Um, and I think there's a certain point to where you develop so much confidence that you're like, well, I don't need everything I do to be perfect, right? Or be great, you know, to kind of answer his question before. I'm okay with some of it being being put out in the world for different reasons. But I will say like that is truly one of the, the, the cruxes, the hardest part of formulating this as not only just a career, but as something that continues to keep you going. But I will say just a warning is like, if you're looking to fill up your well, don't fill up your well with validation, right? Fill it up with things that are meaningful to you, experiences that are important to you, time with people that, that, that does lift you up. And that's crucial, right? Cause if you're going to, cause photography takes, it'll take your time, take your money. It'll take skin sometimes, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be hard on you. And in the process of being creative, like it's supposed to be that way. It's supposed, and it, not in a masochistic way, but in a, in a very beautiful, immersive way where you are a part of that experience. And I, and I really look forward to seeking out those experiences that I know ask something of me because when they do the, the image, the moment, the experience is so much more meaningful, right? Brilliant. Thank you so much. Thank you, Chris. That convo. Yeah. Um, you're going to be around for a little bit, aren't you? So I'm, I'm sure hanging you'd be, you'd be around, happy yeah. to feel questions if Chit people chat. want to yeah. sign some of these. Charles is also books. around from DB if anyone's got any questions about the range yeah. or the collaboration. So yeah, thanks everyone. Thanks for the great questions as well. Yeah. Thank you. That was awesome. So there you go. That was me and Chris Burkhard and I hope you enjoyed it. Like I said at the beginning, 
and I'm going to fire straight in on housekeeping corner. Just have a quick cup of tea. Yes, I am in the middle of France in 25 degree heat drinking tea. I'm English. Um, you know, what can I say? Um, another thing that really gets people's go on podcasts actually is when the host drinks or eats. So I really have ticked off a few. I'm really testing the nerve of the uh, the floating listener here who might have, who will have. I mean, I know there'll be a lot of people who've just tuned into this because it's Chris Burkhard. People make snap judgments about these things. If you've already decided and voted with your feet and turned off after the main interview, regulars, I hope you'll join me in a time-honoured thank fuck they've gone as we head into housekeeping cornered um corner even so yeah give myself a green light to head off down tangent alley here um and i'll explain why so i've always been somebody who's had a lot of projects on the go at all times and i've always thrived on it i do get this a lot from listeners to the podcast um you know people saying how do you do so much stuff and I, I have a bit of a stock answer, really, which is like, I don't have kids, which is true. And I get up early, which is also true. Um, if I could add not drinking, as we'll get to, to that triumvirate, I'd probably get even more shit done. But anyway, this year, I began to notice I've been taking on more and more stuff. Um, and I've not been able to quite find the balance I usually can or cope with the number of plates that I've got in the air in quite the same way. Now, on the plus side, this is because things with the podcast and my day job at All Conditions Media seem to be going better than ever. I mean, I've been doing this long enough now. I always kind of visually represent freelance freelancers a roller coaster, really. You know, at the minute, I'm going up, but I've got absolutely no doubt there'll be a down coming soon because that's just the nature of the game, so I try not to worry about it. But at the minute... Seems to be going pretty well. My company has doubled in size in the last two years, which means I suddenly find myself helping to manage and mentor almost 20 people, which is interesting. Um, then the podcast has obviously kicked right off this year. Um, it's all, It was always going well, but yeah, you know, I'm just getting asked to do more and more interesting things, you know, like TV presenting on natural selection, more journalism giving corporate talks and live missions such as this and the recent Hossegore omnibus. Um, so it's all good. But like I say, I've noticed while this has been going on that the normal coping me- mechanisms that I've got, which is a bit of a perennial topic on the podcast whenever I talk to people about creative plate spinning, haven't quite been serving me in the same way. I mean, I've always been really good at compartmentalizing the way I live my life. And I've always had this facility I've been out of park things until I need to think about them. And I guess about two or three months ago, I noticed that that wasn't really working for me as well as it had previously, um, which was obviously a bit of a concern. And then I began to recognise a few other telltale signs. I was drinking more, I was getting a bit more stressed, I was getting a bit snappy with people, I was finding less time for exercise and all that, really. And I realised a big part of it is that I don't really have a frame of reference for the scenarios I'm in right now. So a lot of the intuitive experience, foundation that you tend to rely upon to to help you make good decisions, it isn't really there anymore. Um, now, like I say, I do broadly see this as a positive thing. After all, after all, it means I'm trying new things, I'm pushing myself, I'm equating myself with being well out of my comfort zone on a regular basis. But equally, you do have to recognise when you're always crashing in the same car as somebody far cleverer than me once put it 
So I found spending a couple of days with Chris Burkhardt to be a hugely illuminating experience. Now, here's a guy with a lifestyle that makes mine look positively monastic. And he's got two kids. I mean, just as you'll have noticed if you've listened to that, you know, he'd just done that crazy, you know, the weekend we were there, he'd just done a bike, 150k bike race. He'd been in Stockholm meeting Pock for some product testing. He was off the back of a, I think, 350k bike packing mission around Iceland. He's just done that shoot for National Geographic. The lad is busy. Um, so it was really salutary for me to see how he conducts himself. And I also found the section of the conversation where we covered filling your well as Chris put it pretty fascinating I mean you probably noticed that I jumped in on that and asked him a question which is pretty much about what I'm talking about here um like as a type I'm on holiday in France like as as I speak even that's me literally reading my script I'm on holiday in France for three weeks and apart from doing some writing and prepping a couple of episodes of the podcast like this which doesn't really feel like work to be honest I've made a real effort to completely tune out but I think when I get back and get back into the swing of it I'm going to need to change the way I approach things really um so my main takeaways from Chris's approach well I think I'm actually going to write a blog about that something you know Chris Burkhard five things we learned but two things immediately stood out firstly his professionalism and his organization he really reminded me of David Carson and Stacey Peralta in terms of the way he conducts himself and secondly from what I can see he doesn't drink and the fact is, if you're not drinking on the head permanently or temporarily, you buy yourself a lot of time and clarity, which is really what I feel like I'm lacking right now. Join the dot, say. So like I say, the whole experience came along at the right time, was very illuminating. Um, you know, I'm in this game to learn things, the podcast, you know, like that's the whole reason I'm speaking to these people and and try to convey their life lessons through the medium of the podcast. And it is very nice to... Uh, have a conversation like that where it's actually helpful to me as well. So there you go. That's what I think about that. Um, so thanks, Chris. Thanks, DB, for getting me and Owen over there. Hope everyone enjoyed the episode as much as I did. If you did, you can join the conversation over at the aforementioned Substack, um, where there'll be an episode page for this one with a comment section. It's been getting pretty lively over there recently, particularly after my 10 things episodes. There's usually a good debate rumbling in the comments. Uh, and there's a good community building. So if you fancy getting stuck in, you know what to do. All right, I'm off for now. But until the next time, nice one. 